Well, yesterday was breakfast in Bethlehem, wasn't it? And I think for many people in church, that is the start of the Christmas season. It feels like we go from November right the way through fast-forwarding to Christmas. And many people put Christmas decorations up around now as well, don't they? As you drive around in the evening, you see the lights of Christmas coming on in people's homes. For many of us, the next two to three weeks of our diaries, as we look to the church diary already, are full with Christmas-related things. And we do all this stuff, it lasts for two or three weeks, and then we have a pause for 11 months, and then we do all the same things again next year. Now, I often talk about this at Christmas, but Christmas costs a lot of money, doesn't it? Anyone want to have any guess as to how much the average person will spend this year in the northwest of England on Christmas? So the average person. 5,000. I'm coming to your house for Christmas, Neil. (laughs) That's not what you expect. Any other? 800? 2,000? Perhaps go for one more. 1,200. Tim is the closest. 745 pounds per person is the average amount that an individual will spend on Christmas. So in our household, where there's four of us, that means we should, if we're an average family, be spending £3,000 on Christmas. Now, if our boys are watching at home this morning, which I don't think they will be, but if they are, two words, dream on, that is simply not going to happen today. But what do we spend money on? Well, we spend money on gifts. That's the biggest chunk of that money. But the rest of it goes on things like Christmas food, extra food, Alcohol, drinks, parties, meals out, going to shows, going to Christmas markets, all these kinds of things, works dues, all of it, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of it gets spent on trying to comfort ourselves, trying to bring about some excitement at a time of year that, if we're honest, is not always the best time of year weather-wise and so on. But I want us to think about that word comfort as we go in to God's word this morning. We're going to read some verses from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 5. If you're a fan of Handel's Messiah, you will know that this is the first item after the overture. That's for those who like that kind of thing. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 5. Amazing words. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rough, rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray again, shall we? Lord, we thank you for these amazing words that bring comfort. We thank you for the promise that you would live amongst us. And we just pray for the next few minutes as we unpack your word, that at what is a very busy time of year, that you'll help us to focus our thoughts on you this year. Help us to hear what your word says about how we should live, about how we should radiate Jesus, the light of the world. And we ask it in his name. Amen. 
Three words I want us to think about this morning, all taken from this passage. Very simple stuff today. Comfort, tenderness, and preparation. Comfort, tenderness, and preparation. We spend a lot of time in our lives thinking about our own comfort. We spend a lot of time right from birth, right the way through our lives, actually spending money on making ourselves comfortable. From a baby that's given a dummy to soothe itself to go to sleep, right the way through to a billionaire with their luxury yacht, and everything in between, we spend money and time soothing ourselves and bringing, or trying at least, to bring comfort. Why do we do it? Because deep inside ourselves, we know that something is wrong. We can't fully comfort ourselves. Now, we can do things to make ourselves comfortable, I love it this time of year, putting a fire on, sitting in the lounge in a comfy chair at the end of the day, getting all nice and warm. But sooner or later, you've got to go to bed. You then go to bed, you're laid in bed, and you wake up, and it's pitch black. It's minus five outside, and you think, oh, isn't this comfortable? But sooner or later, you've got to get up because things need to be done, and the day has got to start. No comfort that this world has to offer lasts forever or fully soothes our anxious and worried heart. Sometimes as human beings, we we get this thing, comfort, and we get it all out of proportion. And we seem to want to soothe ourselves, and it turns into really bad things. This time of year, sadly, many people will turn to drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and so on. Just to try and soothe and comfort the things that go wrong in us. God says, comfort, comfort my people. Now, Isaiah chapter 40 is a pivotal point in the prophet Isaiah. It's the part where we go into the second part of the book. The first part of Isaiah, chapters 1 to 39, is all to do with a period of conflict in the life of the people of Israel. And it's at a time when the Assyrian Empire was at its height. There was all kinds of issues with that. The kingdom of Israel had split into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Israel in the north eventually gets um, overrun by the Assyrians. And then by the time we get to 587 BC, Jerusalem itself is taken, not by the Syrians, but by the Babylonians, who have now defeated the Assyrians. You following all that? Just a bit of history as background. And all these people from Jerusalem are taken into exile in Babylon. The way that the Babylonians dealt with people they conquered was to remove whole populations into Babylon, particularly the brightest and the best. We see that in the book of Daniel. Now, if you lived in Jerusalem in, say, 587 before it was conquered, it was quite a small place, 6,000 people, that sort of place. You go to Babylon, it's a big, big city. Even by modern standards, it's quite big. 200,000 people, it's the first city in the ancient world to get to that size. And so all these people who've been through this heartache of their homes being devastated, of lives being ripped apart, are shipped, lock, stock, and barrel, into Babylon. Why are they there? Well, because they've disobeyed God. God has said time and time again, if you don't follow my ways, if you don't keep the covenant that I made with you through the law and through Moses, then actually what will happen is you will end up in exile. You will walk into the very judgments of God. You know, I think sometimes we can think of judgment as something that happens to us, and it does in a sense, but actually what the Old Testament says is that the people of Israel walk into their own judgment Because that's what God has said would happen. If you keep oppressing the poor, if you keep ignoring the widow and the orphan, if you keep not caring about justice, if you mix worship of God with idolatry, what comes at the end of that is the judgment of God. What do they do? They don't turn back and they walk into the judgment of God. 
And what happens? They get shipped 900 miles away into Babylon. Scary scary stuff for the Jewish people. You imagine for us for a moment, supposing we were invaded as the UK and we were made to walk 900 miles. Anyone any idea where we'd end up? Depends on which direction you go, I suppose. But we'd end up somewhere in northern Italy. Now, you might think, oh, that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Let's go. Let's set off now. But actually, it'd be horrendous, wouldn't it? You wouldn't know the culture going back to those times. You wouldn't know the culture. You wouldn't know what was going on. Life would be different. But as the decades went on, as the time of exile, which lasted for 70 years, kept on going, people would have settled down. They'd have got comfortable. Babies would have been born. Babies would have grown up. And by the end of those 70 years, they'd be, you know, mature adults. But then the word of the Lord comes. The prophet Isaiah spoken many centuries before. His word applies to this time. What does God say? Comfort, comfort my people. Isaiah writes in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, when you do a word twice... It stops it from being a suggestion to making it into a command. This is not a nice suggestion to get in front of a comfy fire on your nice sofa. This is comfort, comfort. This is God's command to be comforted. And God is speaking into the confusion of exile. To those in prison, not in a human prison, not in jail, but in a foreign land. One writer puts it like this. Persons who serve time for a crime do not typically receive comfort on the day of their release. They have been judged deserving of their penalty and now must prove their worthiness. Not so with God. When he proclaims comfort, it's because, it says in verse 2, the sin that brought about exile has now been paid for. God comes to his people and brings far more than they could ever ask for or imagine. Sin is paid for. The past is forgiven. Forgiving is, is tough, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I think to forgive one another, as God forgives us, can be quite a hard thing. It's easy when it's basic stuff. I was walking around some shops the other day, and somebody walked into me with a very large shopping bag. And you know you get those moments when somebody won't stop apologizing to you. And they're like, oh, I'm really sorry. No, I'm really, really sorry. Are you okay? And it's like, you know, I think I'll survive. I'm, I'm all right. And we can forgive one another on that kind of basis. And probably 99% of the world's population manage that. We manage the day-to-day forgiveness. But what happens when something has hurt us deeply that somebody has done? Or what happens if actually something we have done and we're now struggling to forgive ourselves, but more importantly, we're struggling to receive God's forgiveness? What does God say? He says, comfort, comfort my people. Your sin has been paid for. Now, we live in a different time to Isaiah. We live post the coming of Jesus. We know how our sin is eternally paid for. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, the apostle writes, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. What does God come to offer us? Does he come to offer us the comfort of our sofa? No, not at all. But he comes to offer us the comfort of knowing that sin can be forgiven. Of knowing that we can walk out of our self-imposed exile into sin and we can walk into freedom. Knowing that we can have eternal life forever. What does it say? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. See, this is personal, isn't it? God is speaking to us. Jesus came to die for me and for you. He comes and offers us the comfort that we can have 
because sins are forgiven. Let's move on to the second word, tenderness. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. I wonder what your image of God is like this morning. When you pray, who do you think you're praying to? What does your mind conjure up? And Martin Luther, the great reformer, he spoke of how before he'd encountered Christ, that whenever he came to pray, he felt God was like a judge trying to trip him up. God was always there trying to catch him out, get him and whatever. And he, he would almost be terrified praying and he, he would try and earn his way to God through, through more prayers, more um, confession and so on. And then he encountered Jesus and it all changed. Thought I'd bring something to show you this morning. This, um, interesting, Roy was talking about Sunday school. This is my first Bible, um, this, this morning. Um, I got it when I was five and it says in the front of it, if I can find it, presented to Jonathan Bramwell of the Davenport Mini Crew class for a hundred attendances. May the 11th, 1980. It's even got bite marks from a long-deceased cat in the corner. But it's a Good News Bible. And in the Good News Bible, if you've ever had one of these, I'm going to have to come around. I was trying to find some of these pictures to put on the screen, but I couldn't really find the the right ones. Can you see the drawings in the Good News Bible? Sorry if you're online, you probably won't be able to see. Can you see those, George? Can you just see? See these drawings? These little stick mandras. Anyone seen these before? If you're a similar kind of vintage to me, you may have had one of these Bibles. Um, yours might be in better condition. Part of mine's just fallen apart there as I've moved it out. But my image of God, who I think I'm praying to, is still colored by those images, believe it or not. Because a lot of those pencil drawings in the Good News Bible that I grew up with show Jesus as full of compassion. So when I pray, I have some stickmen um, sort of imagery that still somewhere lives deep within me. I'm not trying to get rid of that because I think that's actually quite a good view of Jesus. It is actually the one who is coming to comfort. It's the one who speaks to us with tenderness. Thank you, Eric, for that hymn. What was that hymn you sang earlier or said earlier about him tenderly lifting us up? Um, that word tenderness. But you know, it's very easy, isn't it, to get our image of God wrong? to come to God and to misinterpret the basic nature of who God is. And we can come to God and we can think that God doesn't speak to us with tenderness, but with anger, with judgment, with the pointed finger. Now, God, yeah, he does look at sin and he does require that we repent, but his heart is one of tenderness. Exodus 34, verse 6, written centuries before Isaiah's prophecy. It says this, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Is our view of God one who treats us with great tenderness? One who, when we turn to him in repentance and faith, has his arms open to receive us? One who loves us, one who comes to bring us comfort at our deepest level? Is that our view of God? If it's not, can I suggest we we just sit and we spend some time just praying, Lord, would you reveal your nature to me? Take one of these verses and just spend some time thinking on it and praying on it. Let's move on to the final of the three words, preparation. A few years ago, it was um, middle of January, and I was in Manchester. I can't remember why I was there, but I was doing something uh, that caused me to have to be in the city centre. And it was busy, and it was wet, and I was just in need of a bit of peace. 
So I went, and there's a, there's a church off Deansgate, a Catholic church called the Hidden Gem. I don't know if anyone's ever been in it. And it's this highly ornate Catholic church. And I went in just for a bit of peace and quiet. So middle of January, I go and sit down. There's music playing in the background. What's the music that's playing? Christmas carols. And I'm thinking, I'm caught by, aback by this for, to start with. Why are they playing Christmas carols in the middle of January? Has somebody left a CD player on endless loop and it'll just keep playing all year? What's going on? What's happening? And then it twigged. In certain traditions of the Christian church, Christmas doesn't get celebrated till Christmas Day, and then it goes on to the second Sunday of January, which, if you do your maths, can be quite a way into the month. So here's me from our background, um, sort of Baptist church, nonconformist background, thinking, what on earth are people doing singing carols in the middle of January? Our problem is, is do we sing it in the service between Christmas and New Year, isn't it? What do we do in that service? So if you want to find out this year, 31st of um, December, there is a service in here. Simon will be preaching. I'll be leading. Do come along, and we will find the answer to that question. But it's just a reminder, isn't it, that sometimes we like to press the fast-forward button. We like to get to the celebration of Christmas without reflecting on Advent, without thinking that actually this is the time where, for centuries, people have delved into the prophets and looked and said, Who was Jesus prophesied to be? What had God already said about him? What are we expecting to find in the New Testament then when we come to Jesus and see that it's all fulfilled? And as George has already mentioned this morning, looking forward to the second advent when Jesus will come again. We're not very good at waiting in our modern world, are we? There's a a house just down the road from us that I think they put their Christmas tree up on the day after bonfire night. Now, I always say, and it sounds a bit like Scrooge here, you can put your decorations up whenever you want. It doesn't mean it's Christmas. Um, but they had decided that they wanted to fast forward. They wanted to get to Christmas quickly, straight after bonfire night. But as this passage moves on, we come to this image of preparation. The image of God preparing the way for, for many things, actually, in this passage. First of all, there's a preparation for the exiles to return the exiles to go home from Babylon back to Jerusalem through the desert and the call to make the way straight through the wilderness. And then we get to verse verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight a highway for our God. This is fulfilled in a different way as we look forward into the Gospels. Mark's Gospel, the beginning of Mark's Gospel. Mark is an amazing Gospel writer because he doesn't do any of the nativity stuff. He doesn't theologize like John's gospel does. He goes straight into John the Baptist and looks at fulfillments back to Isaiah. And we get this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist will come as the forerunner to Jesus. He makes the ground ready for the word of God to then bring the gospel message. And then we get to verse 4 and 5. We're not going to unpack these today. But he talks about the glory of the Lord being revealed. So let's think about that word preparation in our own context this morning. This word um, that is particularly linked with this time of year, with Advent, 
Now, Advent is a good time, and I think it's a good discipline, actually, as Christians, to just spend some time over the next few weeks pausing and reflecting on who Jesus is. It can be so easy, can't it, just to get caught up in busyness that we forget to pause. We forget to just think and ponder, as Mary was so good at doing through all those readings that we, hit, we often hear at this time of year. And we can prepare ourselves, as we've already prayed this morning. But the preparation that John the Baptist did, it wasn't about preparing his heart. It was about preparing the way so that when Jesus came preaching, he could almost hit the ground running. So that there was a way prepared for people's hearts to be ready to receive the good news. Now, Christmas is uh, an interesting time, I I think, in our culture to be a Christian. Um, Yesterday, breakfast in Bethlehem, I think we had something like, was it 150, 160 kids through the doors here? So probably the same number of adults plus helpers, probably 330 people, something like that. Kevin, was it 398 sausages I saw that we'd cooked? Um, So quite an achievement in the kitchen. Well done for everybody who took part, and thank you for all those volunteers. It was just an amazing day, an amazing time in here. And when we got to the nativity part of the day, it was absolutely heaving in the room in here, literally full of people. People sat on every imaginable surface and sort of crowded into the room. And in our culture, you know, we can still say the gospel message. We can still sing our carols. And a lot of people will still know at least away in a manger, Silent Night, and possibly one or two others. We can still tell the nativity story with an expectation that people will have some kind of idea as to what it's about. It's socially acceptable to still talk about Christmas as a Christian. That is still something that we can do. We can invite people to our carol services. You know, please do. Please invite them next week to come on for the nativity service or the 17th for the carol service or for the 14th to come and see J. John at um, the stadium. And in places like like Lim, where there are lots of churches around, there is still that sort of post-Christendom interest in the things of the gospel. But we have to do a lot of preparatory work to allow the word of God to sink in. You know, we are coming to a time, I think, in our country where that will stop. That, That sort of back history will sort of dry up. And we won't be able to sing our carols and presume that people know them. We won't be able to tell the nativity story and assume that people know what comes. And it will get more and more tricky. And so actually, we have to be those who take the role of the forerunner, take the role like John the Baptist of preparing the way for the Lord. Those whose lives demonstrate just who Jesus is. A time of preparation when John the Baptist comes. Now, we not, might, not, might not go full John the Baptist. We probably won't start eating locusts and wild honey and all the things that John the Baptist did. But it's about thinking about being a person of preparation. I can't remember which of the, the four people it was last week who were baptized, but one person said one of the reasons that they got drawn to think about the, the gospel, the word of God, was that they'd seen Christians and thought, they've got something that I haven't got. You know, I love it when I hear that testimony because it actually shows that some Christians somewhere were living a life that was pointing people to Jesus. And it's the most amazing testimony. If somebody ever says to you, I've seen in you something that I haven't got, thank God that actually the light of Christ is shining out of you. And then we can become the people of the preparation because we, through our example of living for Jesus, have laid the groundwork so that when the word of God is spoken, it can actually take root in people's lives.
so that we can, so, we can too, just like John the Baptist, become the voice of one crying in the wilderness. You know, I find that a real challenge as we get to Christmas. It is so easy to get caught up in busyness and forget that actually we are called to be the light that shines, the light of Jesus shining in us and out of us, and so that we can be the example of Jesus. This time of year, the word is often heard, it's often sung, but it often needs us to prepare the way. So are our own hearts ready to receive Jesus? Are we those who will take on the ministry that John the Baptist had, so that when the word of God is spoken, there is an example in us of what Jesus calls us to be? So I want to leave us with those three words. I told you it's nothing rocket science this morning. Comfort. Do we know the comfort of God's forgiveness today? Do we know that? Do we hear the voice of God saying to us, comfort, comfort my people? Have we resonated with that in our hearts? Do we know God's voice speaking to us with tenderness? With tenderness as he comes to us. And then thirdly, are we preparing the ground for Jesus? Yes, in our own hearts, absolutely. But also living lives that shine out the good news that Christ is born, the Savior of the world. Let me pray for us. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Father God, we thank you that your glory has been revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that through his living, He's dying, he's being raised, he's ascending, his soon return, that the glory of God has been revealed. And Lord, I want to pray for each of us today that in whatever way, from this passage of scripture, whether it's to receive your comfort, to recognize the tenderness of your voice, or to prepare ourselves or others for the word of God that comes to us in Jesus. We just pray that this year we will be people who your word takes root in our lives and our hearts and changes us. Lord, just amid the busyness of this season, I want to pray for each of us that you'll help us to carve out the time, time to spend with you, time, as we've already heard this morning, to dig into your word, time to reflect, time to ponder, time to worship. And we pray that as we do that, we might become the preparation for those who have yet to make a response to the Lord Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you continue to do a work in as we pray? In Jesus' name, amen.